0: Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What is up, legends? Welcome back to another episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by professional race car driver and stunt driver, Warren Luff. Um, this was a, an enjoyable chat. Um, I always love talking to, to motorsports. Um, athletes and professionals, whether it be race car driving, you know, motocross, whatever it is, um, I find it super enjoyable. It's something that I um, genuinely have interest in. You know, I love watching the F1s and the V8s and motocross and all that type of stuff. Um, And yeah, like I said today, very fortunate to be able to chat with Warren. Um, He was an incredible guest, gave some really good insight into what it's like to be a professional race car driver, both physically and mentally. If you haven't heard the previous episode I've done uh, with another V8 driver, uh, Andre Heimgartner, that's also back in the uh, in the previous shows as well. So be sure to go back and check that one out. But uh, a huge thank you to Warren for joining me um, on this podcast, and obviously a a big good luck to him for the rest of this year um, and Bathurst potentially in November this year. But for everybody who's enjoyed, uh, who does enjoy, sorry, this episode, we'd love for you to take a screenshot. Of the episode on your phone, post on your Instagram story for me right now. Tag myself, tag Warren. I'll have the links to his socials in the show notes below. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Warren, welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast, mate. Um, a pleasure as always to speak to guests on the show that, who can offer um, value to the audience. I think today is going to be a, a real interesting one. So I uh, appreciate you joining me, man. Thanks for having me on board. Mate, I wanted to get stuck straight into it and, and ask you... First up, obviously, everyone listening at the moment has been experiencing the effects of, um, of COVID-19 and the, and, and the probably mental effects more so um, th- than physical of how stressful it can be having the unknown and, um, and I guess the, the stress... Uh, of not knowing what each week is going to entail as a race car driver. Obviously it's uh, there's a lot that's outside of your control when it comes to race day. Um, you know, other drivers, whether or not the car has any stuff ups and whatnot. So mentally you've got to be prepared for, for the unknown. So have you found over the past say 12 to 18 months that you've been able to deal with all these difficulties of, uh, the stress of coronavirus a little bit better because you, you've been prepared in a way, I guess, of, of dealing with the unknown
1: yeah look i think it's um yeah it, like you said especially in with what we do the the mental side of it is just as important as the physical mm. uh, but yeah look over this last twelve to eighteen months um i think the the whole mental health thing has really become sort of very apparent um right through sort of coronavirus and lockdown and everything like that is because obviously as we've seen this is this is affecting everyone, it's not just sort of um it's not something that's out, offshore or anything like that and um mm-hmm. yeah look it it's been pretty tough and um but look. For me, I sort of consider myself quite lucky. Live up here on the Gold Coast, and um, in comparison to some of the southern states, especially right now, um, yeah, we had our own little lockdown here, sort of a bit over a week and a half ago, that lasted sort of eight or nine days. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I suppose on the on the whole, we we have uh, actually been sort of quite lucky. But certainly last year, we were sort of shut down for sort of three and a half months. So for sort of, it's I think that's sort of it's the uncertainty. That really sort of was the was the toughest thing to sort of get through because you sort of everyone everyone needs money to to be able to survive and pay mortgages and do all those sorts of things and obviously mm. having a having a young family and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, it was pretty hard. But as as you said, it's sort of I suppose that sort of that mental toughness to sort of go that you, you know that you're going to get through. Um, but it's a matter a matter of being able to sort of find a way and and you're trying to find the positives in, in everything that you do in life, whether it be in the day-to-day stuff that you're doing with your yeah. family or at work or with your friends. Or for me, when I'm sort of behind the wheel of a race car, sometimes you can be having a really bad race or whatever, but it's about trying to sort of extract those positives and take yeah. those positives to sort of be able to build on and, uh, and improve yourself um, as a professional person or like what we've all been discovering lately as, a, as an individual to be able to sort of use it as a, as a coping mechanism.
0: Yeah. Almost being able to compartmentalize the the situation at hand as a professional, you know, any of the athletes and stuff that I've spoken to on the podcast and and just from from the experience of have been able to deal with them in person as well. You, you start to understand that professionals get really good at being able to deal with the highs and the lows of, of their chosen sport. Obviously, as I mentioned in racing, there's some, some massive highs, but some, some big lows as well. And, and as I said, a lot of the time it seems to be outside of your control. So, what are some of the tools that you've been able to, to add, I guess, to your toolkit on the mental side of things to be able to mentally prepare for a race weekend and, but also be able to deal with the frustrating ones where you do get taken out or you might get a, you know, flat tire or whatever it may be. And, and it doesn't happen to go your way. How, how do you deal with those highs and lows?
1: Look, I, for me, look, I've been doing this for a very long time and like you said, there's the, the highs are massive but the lows can be sort of probably equally as massive. Mm. It's about trying to find that sort of middle ground and sort of don't get carried away with the, the amazing highs. You sort of, you enjoy them for what they are at the time but you, yep. know that, you know that those highs don't last forever. It's sort of, it's that old 15 minutes of fame thing and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's about trying to sort of find that sort of middle ground And not just not let yourself go too far in one way or the other part of the mental preparation, I suppose, for us in terms of racing is you're trying to sort of prepare yourself mentally for the physical side. But you've also, it's the the mental side of it is just as important as well. So you're, it's sort of, it's a, it's a mental, mental sort of approach. You've got to, there's so many, there's so many variables that can happen sort of over Mm. a race weekend and during a race. Um, and these days I try not to sort of get too tied up in the, in the worrying about sort of, I suppose what's outside your control. You've kind of got to, I very much believe that you've got to, especially with what we do, you've got to be able to react and respond as things are happening. And it's about having the decision making to make the right decisions at the time. You can, you can have all the scenarios built up into your head about this may or may not happen in the race. And obviously as a team, we'll sit down and we discuss strategies and everything like that based on whether um, there's so many different variables that we'll obviously sort of build into that. But at the end of the day, you've, some of those best laid plans as soon as the race starts can be thrown out the window. Like you said, for so many different reasons that can be totally outside your control, something happens in the race, something happens with your car, you make a mistake, whatever it might be. So, yes, you, you go in with a plan, mm-hmm. um, but for me, I definitely don't go in with an expectation because you go in expecting something, um, generally that will only ever lead to sort of disappointment. So I really try and go in things with a very open mind in, in any race that I do and it's about, as I said, it's trying to deal with the situation yeah. as they come up and use that decision-making process that comes from, I suppose, in, in my situation now. I've been doing it for such a long time. Um, you also learn to control your emotions and, and not sort of let the hot-headedness sort of come into it. Which, again, in our sport, um, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of adrenaline going on at the time. It's very easy to make an mm-hmm. emotional or a, or a reactive decision based on what's going on. But as we all know, in, in not only just in sport but also in life, sometimes the emotional decision or the or the reactionary decision is probably not the best decision that you can make. So yeah. as I said before, it's just it's trying to control those highs and lows and trying to find yourself. And this is one thing I suppose I've probably worked on with myself very much over the years. It's finding that sort of happy middle ground where I sort of try not to deviate too far away from that. I don't get carried away with the highs. Yeah. But again don't get dragged into the lows as well.
0: Yeah. Much easier said than done. Um, <laughs> much, I, I, much easier I, said uh, than done. <laughs> I read a, read a book recently um, by uh, an author, Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you've ever read it or heard it before called Stillness is the Key. And he talks a lot about that, about almost being able to have that little little gap between the stimulus and the reaction. So it, obviously mm. at the time, it's super, super difficult to be able to, to do it. It's like I said, much easier said than done. Um, well one of the, one
1: of the other things because I, I do a lot of coaching of, of young drivers and all that sort of stuff, and one yep. of the things I always try and sort of say to them is panic slowly when something 's not going your way or something's <laughs> happening in a race panic slowly give yourself that bit of time to think before you react or with whatever's going on around you because um, like what was said is sometimes the the panic reaction is usually the wrong one
0: love that panic slowly that 's a good one I had a maybe six months ago, it might've been, I had uh, Andre Heimgartner on the the show. And something that I found extremely uh, intriguing was how for you race car drivers outside of race weekend, a lot of the time, you don't actually have time in the car on the track. Um, So, you know, let's use an example of a football or a basketball outside of game day, they're spending hours every single day with the ball in hand or on the court or whatever it may be. And that's the case for a lot of sports, but with, with racing, it seems uh, almost odd that, that the only time you're really in the car is when it gets to the, to the most important part. And that's, that's race weekend. So outside of, race weekend, what do you do to keep yourself uh, mentally and physically prepared? And then also is there certain ways you're spending time like in a simulator or or something like that to be able to keep the, the touch up for when you get to race weekend so you can perform on the day?
1: Yeah, like you said, uh, look, our sport is very different. Like, it's not like we just sort of jump in the car three or four times a week, like a normal sports person would, like a like a footy player or tennis or cricket or anything like that. So, um, obviously, every time we go out in the car, it costs a lot of money. So, one of the things they did bring in many years ago to try and sort of control the expenditure of teams was to minimise the amount of testing and all that sort of stuff. So. So any time that you can be in a car driving or doing anything is obviously sort of going to help you. Um, and especially for the situation, say, that I'm in, it's a, the V8 supercars because I only yeah. do the endurance races every year. Yeah. So for this year, provided it obviously still happens with COVID, um, so Bathurst will be the only race that I sort of do in the, in the V8 supercars. So again, yeah. you use that footy analogy. It's like I'm going from sitting on the sidelines to playing in the AFL grand final. On the G, Having, yeah. <laughs> ha- having not kicked it having not played a game all year so <laughs> um so from my perspective anytime i can get behind the wheel and drive a car or do anything it's it's a benefit to sort of what i'm ultimately trying to achieve in at Bathurst later on in the year so um outside of racing as i say to people i do have a real job but a lot of people don't classify it as a real job but i do the stunt show up here at movie world on the gold coast and it's been sort of home for me for the last kind of 13 years so um, yes, driving a car in the stunt show out there is incredibly different to driving a V8 yep. supercar around Bathurst, but it's still that seat of the pants feeling. It's still having that reaction to feeling what a car is doing and what mm. you as a driver can do to get the best out of it. So, yes, to, com- completely worlds apart from a V8 supercar at Bathurst, but it's still that. It's still giving you that feeling of responding and reacting. Or any time I can get behind the wheel of a car. So, like even like last week, I was out at Queensland Raceway. Um and a mate of mine's actually just bought an old V8 supercar, okay. Which actually is a car that I drove about <laughs> twelve years ago. Um, and just out there sort of driving that. Um, uh, like it all counts. Yeah, all, 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 always in cars and driving. Yeah. So a- anything that you can do. Um, like even for me, on a, on a normal year again outside of COVID times, we do a lot of sponsor ride days. Yeah. And taking guests for rides in the in the V8 supercar for me again that's invaluable because yeah. the more time that you can the more time you can be behind the wheel of a car obviously the better it's going to be yeah. for you um but it's also about making sure that it's also quality over quantity to be able to every time i'm driving a car it's i suppose it's that analyst being able to analyze what it is that i'm doing and and get your mind thinking about what the car is doing and what you need it to do it's not just kind of get in and go oh, i just went for a drive around the track and and don't think about it it's the And like we touched on before, the mental side of it is just as important um, so Mm. that you're thinking about the car. What's the car doing? What do you need the car to do? What as a driver can you do to improve yourself to get more out of the car? Because I think sort of our game, it's kind of evolved over the last probably sort of 10 years, but in every other sport and every other sort of professional discipline, people have coaches. Yet in motorsports, sort of the idea of having a coach is – only until very recent times has always been sort of that, oh, no, we don't need coaches. It's that sort of, I suppose it's a bit of bravado or a bit of ego or whatever yep. it is. But I think these days more and more people are turning to, to coaches to help improve their own performance because yeah. It's yeah, always, it's we, we, always, we always focus on trying to get the best out of the car. But we as the drivers, we are an important
0: part of getting the best out of the car mm. and, uh,
1: and being able to sort of analyse our own performance is a,
0: is a huge thing as well. Maybe when you head down and get the milk, you'll be able to get behind the wheel and give it a thrash on the way down the supermarket. <laughs> Do you, in terms of simulators, is there any form of simulator that you can use with the V8s that is as close to the actual experience as possible? Like I know in the F1s, the drivers spend a lot of time behind, like in the simulator trying to simulate it as, as close as they can to race day or conditions on the track. Is there anything like that here in Australia with the V8s or is it pretty far mm-hmm. off? Yeah, look, a lot
1: of the guys, especially since COVID, really sort of have embraced sort of um, sim racing and all that sort of stuff because, again, obviously driving a simulator versus driving a a V8 supercar around Bathurst, they're completely worlds apart. Mm. But the thing that the sim racing does actually give you is it it allows you to sort of hone your racecraft side of things. It's really good for learning racetracks in terms of, a circuit that you haven't, if you've never been to before, it's a really good way because the uh, the technology and the sims and everything like that, um, it, it it's a real good learning tool. Um, so yeah, like I I don't have a sim at home, but sort of the Porsche team that I do a lot of coaching for, um, their head office is only sort of half an hour from my place. Um, They've got like a full uh, a full motion simulator like this thing's like 120 odd grand worth of technology and all that sort of stuff So yeah any chance I can I'll sort of definitely sort of jump on there and especially as we get closer to sort of the endurance races I'll definitely be spending a bit of time up there to to jump on the sim and just to again Anything that you can do to improve your own performance um, Is obviously going to help on race day.
0: When you mentioned before about the, uh, the stunt driving, how, it, how did you get into that? Is that something that just an opportunity that came about because you were in, in the race world and, and mm. it was a bit of a connection thing or is that something you had to, like, was it hard to learn or like how, how did that whole experience come about?
1: Yeah, look, it was a, it was a really weird um, thing. How it came about was I was actually standing at Brisbane Airport um, about to get on a plane and go to Europe for four weeks because I was going to go do Nürburgring 24-hour race over there and got a phone call from a friend of mine in Sydney. This is back in 2000, early 2008. And he said, um, he said, "Oh, have you seen uh, Movie World They're applying for stunt drivers some new stunt show they're doing out there?" And I was like, "No, I hadn't heard about it." And he quickly emailed me the link to it, and I like I'm literally standing at Brisbane airport sort of waiting to sort of check <laughs> in at the international terminal, opened the, open the ad up, saw the ad, and applications actually closed that afternoon. Okay. Um, and, they, and they wanted a video reel of what you've done and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm on a plane in an hour. There's not much I can really do. So I quickly just shot them an email just saying, look, I'd only just seen the ad, would really love the opportunity to apply. Yep. Um, sent them through a bit of my racing sort of CV and everything like that and just said, look, unfortunately, I'm about to get on a plane. I'm going to be gone for nearly four weeks. Um, and literally before I got on the plane, checked my emails and there was an email there saying, yeah, look, we'd love you to come along to the auditions. We'll get you posted. Um, and it kind of went from there. There was a, yeah. there was an open audition. I think they ended up auditioning just over 400 people. Well, they had right. 400 applicants, I think it was. Um, and they did three days' worth of driving auditions up here at uh, at Paul Morris, who used to race himself at the Holden Performance Driving Centre. And they did like a morning and an afternoon on each of the days. Um, and so, yeah, they sort of did a bit of a cull. And then out of that, they obviously culled that down to a smaller group that got called back for a second audition. And, um, yeah, thankfully I got all the way through and was part of the original cast. And our original show uh, kicked off on Boxing Day 2008. And as I said, been there ever since. And since then there's been sort of a few different changes in the show. Yep. Um, but one of the toughest things for me was in the original show, um, we did driving on two wheels. So you yeah. had the ramp there and you drive up it. And drive on two wheels. So for me, it was probably the most, one of the most challenging things I've ever done in terms of driving, because it really, it was a complete different mindset in terms of, because as you go up the ramp, you've literally got to sort of drive up and then sort of really sort of kick it off the ramp. And get it to the point where it feels like the car wants to roll over, but that's basically right, right where, where your balance point is. So <laughs> your your brain kicks in and all the time, every time I in the early days coming off the ramp, I'd just keep wanting to turn down because your brain's <laughs> sort of going, this is wrong. And instinctively you just kind of, you want to sort of drop the car down. Whereas in fact, as I said, you've actually got to turn up the ramp to really get the car to kick and come off high uh, to be right in the sweet spot. So Um, it was definitely really challenging. Mm. And again, it's that whole mental game because the physical skills, it wasn't physically hard to do, but it was mental. the mental challenge of trying to sort of find that sweet spot where the car needed to be and then be able to sort of balance it there. Again, like anything, once you know how to do it, it's relatively easy. But that learning process and that sort of that trust and having that sort of belief as to this is what you actually needed to do was for me in terms of driving is definitely probably one of the hardest things I've ever done
0: i can imagine is it something now that you is it, is it almost like you can just mentally switch off and go out there and do your thing or you still have to really put a lot of thought into into the process when you go out and do it now after having done the show so many times obviously you said it changes from time yeah. to yeah is it still something that's really mentally stimulating for you now
1: oh absolutely look unfortunately <laughs> we don't do the two wheeling in the show anymore uh, um, but part of the show now, so I sort of manage the day-to-day running of the show. So I still perform in the show, uh, but also any of you guys that we have coming through, I sort of train them up. Um, yep. One of the big things that I say to, to all the guys coming through is that you can't get complacent out there. Like I've been doing the show for 13 years now. I've done thousands of shows out there. Um, but every time it's always going to be that little bit different. You can't, you can't allow yourself to get complacent in anything that you do, um, especially when you're driving cars and drifting around and you've got walls and other <laughs> cars and everything like that. So it's one of the things I really sort of hammer into the team. It's just every time you've got to be mentally sharp and on your game out there because, yes, we're as I said, we're having a lot of fun out there, but it's also being very visually aware of where the other car is out on set, where there's performers on set, where you're trying to position your car and everything like that. So, again, it's not, the, it's not physically demanding out there. Yeah. But, again, it's that mental where you've got to be sharp and on your game because, obviously, especially when you've got capacity of sort of 1,800 people sitting in there sort of <laughs> potentially watching you, um, any mistake is obviously going to be seen by a lot of people. Mm. Um, and, again, we're, we're running a very professional show out there. There's a huge amount of rehearsals and everything yeah. that goes on behind the scenes to make it look what it does. Uh, when we're out there doing the shows, so yeah, the the mental side of it, it's still you definitely can't become complacent in yep. in anything that you do in life, especially in your in your professional life.
0: Bloody oath. With uh, just just before we move on, I want to touch on some physical stuff um, in a second in the race car, but back to the the mental side um, just quickly. As I mentioned, like I, I'm a pretty big fan of the F1s and the V8s, but you often see, particularly in F1s, I mean, those cars are outrageously um, what do you call it? They, they like, you know, one tap of the front wheel and they're done for the race. I see quite often, you know, the drivers that end up out of the race super early, let's say first lap, all the preps gone into that race weekend, they've done practice qualifying and whatnot. Mentally they've, they've invested in it and then they're out in the first lap. How do you deal with something like that? Mm-hmm. Obviously you said that you have, you've gotten a lot better at staying neutral and not getting too, high with the highs or too low with the lows but something like that it's got to be difficult to be able to just walk away from the car and kind of just and just forget about it and move on when you put so much time and energy into that one race yeah it's hard because everyone kind of looks at what we do
1: and they look at us as very singular that we're the driver out there and everything like that but you people forget that there's a there's a whole team of people behind us so especially like a Formula One level like uh, in some of the top teams you're talking like a staffing level of well in excess of 500 people hmm. also two guys can go drive a car on a race weekend so a lot of the time your disappointment is not just not just for yourself yeah there's a whole there's a whole team of people there behind you same as like in the v8 supercars like so for the team that I drive for, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, um, we're sort of about 40 to 45 people. Yeah. Um, and not, not every one of those people are at the, at the racetrack. Um, and then you've got your corporate partners, you've got your fans and everything like that. Mm. So it's not just about yourself. There's a, there's a massive team of people behind you that, uh, that are doing just as much work as what you are to To be able to sort of to see the team and everything succeed, succeed, and then as I said, you've got your fans and everything like that, and the sponsors and that. So there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure and expectation, and so yeah, in those times of disappointment, for me in particular, it's yes, there's my own personal disappointment, but it's the disappointment for for every person that's on our team, our partners, our fans, and everything like that, because yeah. uh, it's not just about you out there. There's a uh, there's a there's huge there's a huge sort of um, team behind you making it possible.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the races, um, I-, I wanted to really wanted to ask you about Bathurst. So in terms of the, physically, you know, the, the physical demand of, of a race car, how is that experience on a track like Bathurst, particularly in the en- endurance races when, when you're doing a shitload of laps? Can you give us a bit of an insight into what, what that's actually okay. like? Yeah, look, as I, as I say to people,
1: it's, um, especially when we do ride days and you get people in passenger seat, the first thing that most people say is just how hot it is in the car because there's no electric windows, there's no air conditioning, like the windows are all sort of bolted up like their first-piece windows. Um, and that's the first thing that people really sort of re- recognise with. And as I say to people, the easiest way to describe what it's like in the car is the general rule of thumb that we work on is whatever the ambient temperature is, Yep. your cabin temperature is about 20 to 25 degrees above ambient. So when you're looking at a, at an early 30s ambient temperature, you're looking at sort of mid to high 50s, approaching 60 degrees Crazy. cabin temperature in the car. Yep. And that's, that's where the physical side of it does become sort of quite challenging. Thankfully, Bathurst, um, usually in the October time slot that it is, this year it's now being delayed through till November, uh, you, you generally see probably sort of maybe mid to high 20s at best. Yep. When we're looking now to potentially be racing there in November, we'll be quite it's, hot very, by then. It's, it's very probable that we could be sort of approaching sort of early to mid 30s. Um, so cabin temperature for, for all of us is going to be a lot hotter than yep. potentially what we've ever experienced before. These days we are quite lucky that um, the teams have worked very hard over the last probably sort of 15 years with, looking after the drivers so we wear a cool suit under our driving suit which is basically a vest that pumps chilled water so it's trying to help keep your core body temperature down um there's a fan that so we've got like an air duct that goes into the top of our helmet that pumps cool air into the top so you've got sort of small holes in the top of your helmet and so even during the race when you so when you get called in for a pit stop so you're coming down conrod straight which is the big long straight prior to sort of coming in the pit. So generally you'll get sort of the call from your crew as you come onto Conrad that you'll be pitting on this particular lap. Um, And so it's at that point that you'll usually sort of unplug your helmet air. And even just that probably minute to maybe minute and a half without having your helmet air plugged in, you really start to notice the difference in terms of the temperature inside your helmet starts to sort of really increase. Um, And then even as you go to come into pit lane, you'll start to unplug your cool suit. So again, which is only probably about 30 odd 30 to 45 seconds, you won't have your cool suit plugged in. and again, you already notice a small difference with that. Um, so yeah, the physical side of it is it can get quite sort of uh, quite hard out there, especially when and I've had this before, and I think nearly everyone in v8 supercars has where you end up having a failure with the cool suit where it basically stops pumping water for whatever reason, there's been a drama. Generally the, the biggest problem with them is, is because we use dry ice to sort of chill it. So you you run yeah. sort of the cool box temperature somewhere between sort of, sort of seven to 10 degrees. But if you end up with too much dry ice in there, you can actually freeze the system. Um, so it just stops pu- basically pumping water. And when it stops pumping the water, you pretty much will end up with a hot water blanket sitting on top of you because, the water that's sitting in the vest on your chest up. starts to sort of heat up. And then, so it becomes a real problem. So it's, uh, it's definitely not nice, but in times like that, especially when the, the temperature gets hot and you start to sort of feel it, it's your mental strength that gets you through on those days. The, the physical side of it is one part, but like, yeah. as I say to so many people, you watch, like, as I said, Hawaiian Ironman's Man's a classic. You watch people sort of staggering towards the finish line And when you create that sort of that mental sort of that's where I've got to get to, you've got to have that mental strength. And you watch people get to the finish line of Hawaiian Ironman and they literally get to the finish line and they collapse as they go over the line. If you move that finish line, another 10, 15, 20 meters down the road, they'll still get to that finish line and then collapse because it's that mental, it's that mental strength that Mm. you go, this is what I've got to do. And And especially for me having done this for quite some time now, You learn, you learn that mental strength. You dig deeper into into yourself, deeper than what you ever realized. Like I remember, in the early days of racing in the V8 Supercars, the the heat and the fatigue really got to me, and it wasn't because I didn't have the fitness to get through. It's just it's learning that mental toughness to to be able to sort of push your body past the point where your body would normally want to give up. It's just having that sort of that mental sort of that toughness to basically drag your body through. To, to what is your finish line, whether it be the pit stop or the end of the race or whatever it is you've got to do. And again, for us, obviously, to, very different from a lot of sports, in those endurance races, you've got to sort of push your body to get through your stint or whatever and you get out of the car and then maybe an hour, hour and a half later, you're back in the car. Yeah, so, it's again, it's, it's having that mental toughness to prepare yourself to get back in and endure yeah. what you've done already and you've got to go through that whole process again.
0: Physically, what do you do in that little break? You know, you typically see that's an example of football. Again, the guys that are on the bench, if they're on f too long or, you know, you've got an extended time off the field, they might jump on the bike and get the legs moving just to make sure that they're still warm to jump back on the field and get going again. Is, is the car the same situation? Is still staying relatively semi-active in that time out of the car or are you taking it to to rest completely to give your body the recovery it needs
1: look everyone's different and i think um it's one of those things that it's finding what works for you i think pretty much or predominantly the first thing that all of us will do as soon as you get out of the car it's to try and cool your core body temperature down so a lot of guys will either have an ice bath or something like that or at least just at least get out of your hot race gear and that just to try and sort of cool your your core body temperature down so um yeah we we have an ice bath there so i'll usually sort of as soon as you get out of the car you'll you'll probably go and have like a a five minute chat with your engineer just to sort of pass on any information to to your co-driver who's just obviously got in the car whether there's any nuances with the car or it's doing this or that or there's there's something on the track or or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be the how the track grip might have changed or anything that you can do for the guy that's got in the car to help get them back up to speed quicker with how the how the tracks evolve, how the cars changed or 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 anything like that so you'll generally straight away you'll have that conversation very quickly um usually at that same time you're trying to sort of obviously get some fluids back into your body even though we do Mm -hmm. have the the drink bottle in the car but again it's just getting fluids and getting some energy sort of back into your body and then for me yeah i'll go straight across to the truck. Um, strip off, jump in the ice bath for sort of probably sort of five to 10 minutes just to cool the core body temperature down. Um, and then after that, it's about just having something to eat, keep drinking, um, get into your next sort of race suit and get ready again. And then it's usually okay. about being sort of back in the garage because you pretty much all got to be on standby relatively straight away in yep. case for whatever reason, like if there's a, there's a drama with the other driver or something like that. Yeah. So you can never sort of wander too far away from sort of the garage. Um, but for me, usually, again, I'll probably sort of, if if I know roughly when I've got to sort of be in the car for probably 15, 20 minutes before, I'll just do some light stretches and all that sort of yeah. stuff just to sort of keep the body sort of Same moving mobile. and everything like that. Um And basically preparing yourself to get back in the car. But yeah, it's, it's hydration, it's mm. food, it's cool the core body temperature, get dressed again and get ready to get back out there.
0: With the G-force, is that something that the body gets used to? Like is it, is it always, you get that same feeling every single time you're going into a corner and slamming on the brakes or going around a corner, you know, a couple hundred kilometers an hour. Like is it, do you start to get used to that or is it something that you, your body, like you physically feel every single race, every lap?
1: no your body again your body learns to get used to that um and that's part of just your it's also about fitness for what you do there's there's only so much for like like in any athlete there's there's the fitness that you do to to get ready for what you do but same as like a footy player and that it's it's all about your match fitness and everything like that Or Um, and yeah. yeah and same same in the car it's the And the G-forces and all that sort of stuff, again, when we do sponsor ride days and you've got people in the car, that's Mm. one of the first things that they notice. It's not probably even so much the cornering force, it's the braking, how hard the brakes can be applied and that de-acceleration. It's funny, like you'll have someone in the passenger seat at a ride day and the first time you put the brakes on really hard, like you watch (laughs) their head basically snap forward because again, they're just not prepared for it or anticipating what it's I've potentially
0: a, like i've done a couple of laps around uh around sand down. i did a few in the driver's seat then jumped in the passenger seat straight afterwards and yeah it was pretty it was pretty mental
1: yeah so yeah, again after after you've done it for long enough your body does get sort of used to it but probably the biggest one is that I I do notice is it's also, it's the strength within your neck because obviously with your helmet on and everything like that, you're adding, you're adding weight to your head. So sort of in the, in the lateral side of things with sort of the extra weight of your helmet on and everything like that, when you haven't been in the car for a little while, that's probably the first thing that you do actually start to sort of notice Uh, again, especially sort of in those longer races. But again, Uh, most of us generally have some kind of like a neck strengthening or conditioning exercise you do away from the car just to sort of keep your your neck muscles up and especially at that elite level of like those formula one drivers like they're sort of they're sort of pulling sort of four five five and a half g in the lateral um and up to sort of three even four g's under sort of Breaking. So, you look at the you look at the Formula One guys. They're all sort of relatively short, incredibly fit guys. But you just look at the size of their neck. Yeah. Um, like they've kind of got like the neck of like a rugby player. Rugby guy, because yeah. because they they do need that sort of uh, neck strength to be able to basically hold the hold their head up for they're doing sort of a, a two hundred and fifty odd kilometer race. Yeah. Um, where you've constantly got that sort of that lateral G going on.
0: Before we wrap things up, I just wanted to just, just staying on the, um, on the subject of the physical side of things, how much work goes into physical prep um, away from the car? So in the gym with your strength training, you mentioned, obviously, there's a lot of exercise and strength work that needs to go on with the neck and stuff like that. But outside of that, what is a, a typical resistance or strength session look like for you, if any at all?
1: Yeah. Look, for me, it's it's all about. I suppose probably more than anything, it's just doing something all the time. Um, uh, again, we're not a we're not sort of in the in the front pack of a rugby scrum or anything like that. So yep. I, I don't need to be in the gym sort of bench pressing two hundred and fifty <laughs> kilos or, any, or anything like that. I'm definitely not built for that. So for me, it's more probably most of my training is obviously based around sort of um, endurance training and that's a lot of running, a lot of cycling, yep. um, trying to sort of get back into to do a bit of swimming and, and all that sort of stuff because, again, anything that's more sort of endurance related is obviously more beneficial for, for what I need out of, out of myself. And I think one of those things uh, for me is over the years of doing this for quite some time, it's also just – it's knowing what your body needs in terms of your training, in terms of your nutrition, your hydration and everything like that. I think the more you do something, the better you become at understanding your own body. A lot of people very early on, and I was very guilty of this early in my career, is you look at what other people are doing in terms of their preparation and you're like, oh, yeah, I need to be doing that. and I need to be doing what he's doing and all that sort of stuff. Um, And you can get a little bit lost in terms of trying to sort of replicate what everyone else is doing. It's understanding your own physical requirements and also your own physical limitations as to what what is it that your body ultimately needs for what it is that you're wanting to do so I think that's for me probably the the best thing that I've learned in my career is just what what does my body need and as I said that require that's involving nutrition hydration yep. and just also the mental preparation as well as you're going into a race whether it be in the week leading up to it or that morning of it's just it's when you get to that point where your brain switches over and you're right, right this mm. is what we're here to do, and you just get into that focus mode of what it is that you need to do and that I flow think state exactly. You just and that's something that you just learn with time. And the more you do something, I think the better you get at finding those key things for yourself. Yeah,
0: love that. And that applies for you know, for everyone that's tuned in, that applies for everything particularly with health and fitness outs. obviously most people that are listening aren't race car drivers, but it, uh, it definitely applies to everyone in regards to training, nutrition, recovery, the whole mindset side of things. Mm. I talk a lot about my morning routine and things like that. And then it comes down to what works best for you. You know, what works for, for you and I probably doesn't work for everyone else listening. So it's, it's about finding what works best for you. Um, but mate, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. I, I've taken a lot out of it. It was really enjoyable. Um, But yeah, I appreciate your time and I'm sure that everyone that's tuned in has taken away a lot of value as well. So thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. And um, stay safe
1: down there in, uh, in Melbourne. Hope you guys get out of lockdown real soon
0: so do i mate so do i uh, If everyone who has tuned in we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this episode for us tag us on uh on your instagram story we'd love to hear your feedback on today's chat go and uh, i'll have the links to all uh warren's socials in the in the show notes so make sure you go and give him a follow and keep up with how he's going this year and and beyond but um again thank you mate and um uh very much appreciate it and good luck for the rest of the year thanks mate chat soon appreciate it